the fastest known podcast will be not quite so fast this episode because it's going to be very special. We're going to do something we have never done before. We're going to attempt a wrap-up, a highlights from the first six months of this podcast. Yep, it's a little different, but what we're going to be hearing now is snippets from seven different podcasts. So we're going to hear a steady stream, seven different episodes, uh, just excerpts. This will be less than one hour, and I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm going to tell you who you're going to hear. We're going to start with Anton Krupichka, our very first guest back on September 21, 2018. That's right, our first podcast. Actually, it's still the most popular, where Anton said, sometimes being successful just means getting back to the car alive. Yeah. And then we're going to hear from Carol Sabe from the Appalachian Trail, who noted, I start to hit my stride after 2,000 miles. Okay. Christoph Teuscher, he did rim to 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 rim. Yeah, that's right, the quad. We're only going to hear from him for four minutes. Uh, so we're going to have a great summary about what he feels about the quad rim to rim. Heather Anderson, Anish on the calendar Triple Crown. Jim Walmsley, you're going to hear from, describing rim to rim to rim alt, where he and his two uh, buddies swam across the Colorado River twice. And then we're going to wrap it up with two episodes First is with Peter Backlund, Claire Gallagher, and Tony Kropichka wrapping up the FKT of the year for 2018. And lastly, we're going to hear Matt LaFort interviewing Killian Jarnett regarding Killian's FKT on the Bob Graham Round. That's right. This is FKT of the Year Europe from 2018. We'll finish this off. It's really going to be interesting, so stick with it. I can't say these really were the best. I couldn't choose. It was really hard to figure it all out because everything was so interesting. But we have about 53 minutes of really fun uh, cuts, some of the best stuff. And after this, the next week, we're going straight into FKT of the Year 2019. Yep, the votes are mostly in, I to be honest, I, I think I know what's going to happen. It's really interesting. We've, we have extremely close contests. Uh, no one hit it out of the park this year, so the voting was quite close, quite interesting. There was a lot of creativity this year, 2019. So let's roll the clips from 2018, including winding up uh, FKT of the Year 2018. Thank you very much. It's been really fun doing this, and uh, we have some big news for 2020, so stay tuned. One of more notable FKTs is the Longs Peak Triathlon, where you indeed, that's why it's called a triathlon. It's biking, it's running or hiking, and it's climbing. Yeah, yeah, that was, gosh, I guess already two years ago I did that with uh, my buddy Stefan Griebel, a fellow athlete here in Boulder, a uh, mountain athlete. He, I would consider him a climber primarily, but he's really into the cardio stuff as well, uh, biking and running. And um, that was a cool objective because it combines all three of those. And you have to be 
you have to be strong stamina wise, endurance, but also technically proficient on an alpine big wall. So, uh, so yeah, you start it's, it's, in Boulder. Now, tradi- the traditional start was the bus stop. Is that what you did? Yeah, yeah, we start from the bus stop in North Boulder. Okay, and then you bike. 44 miles, if memory serves correct. Something like that, 40 to 40, I can't remember exactly. <laughs> yeah, 42 maybe. Up to the Longs Peak Trailhead where you uh, stash a bike in the tree or lock it to a tree. And then uh, hike or run up to the base of, of the, the diamond, yeah. And that's why it's the triathlon because then you climb the diamond. Yep. Which is, is that a 10B or a 10A? 10A, yeah. It's, there's like, it's like a 20-foot section that's 10A. The rest of it's more five eight five nine. Uh, if the whole thing was was ten a, I would have a lot harder time on it. <laughs> Especially when we we had a our climbing rack consisted of four cams and four camps and eight draws. So uh, that's thin. Yeah, but that's because it's moderate. It's a moderate route. Um, otherwise, and there's you know there's fixed pitons, not really any fixed gear, but. Um, couple of sling anchors and a few fixed pitons on the route so mm-hmm. there's other intermittent protection some people would not call a 10a at 13 and a half thousand feet moderate that is well that's funny that you mentioned the altitude i just climbed it again a couple of weeks ago and and i was reminded of how much harder climbing at almost 14k is it's just you're kind of just maxed out on something that down here in boulder and eldo you'd feel really comfortable on so um, yeah, that's a factor for sure. And then you get to the top, and then you bundle up your gear, mm-hmm. you run, jog, or hike down the North Face cables. Definitely running. Well, I mean, you, you, there's a quick scramble down the cable <laughs> section itself, but then you're <laughs> running every step back down the trailhead if you're trying to go quickly. And yeah, you're just you're going for it, and that's mm-hmm. you, you have to have terrific footwork because this is called the Boulder Field. Yeah, the Boulder Field right below the cables is. An iconic section for sort of the the every person's route up uh, the keyhole route on Long's Peak, and it's just a jumble of boulders, and it's super tricky. It's it's, I mean, trying to run through that quickly is at least as dangerous as climbing on the diamond itself because you catch a toe, you're gonna break your face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be the full on yard sale. Yeah. And then you get back down to the trailhead, you get on the bikes, and mm-hmm. it's 44 miles back to Boulder. Yeah, and that's where it really, um, that becomes the crux, because even though it's downhill, you get down to Lyons, well, there's rollers even before that along the peak to peak, and then you get down to Lyons, and it's another 12 miles or so back to Boulder, and uh, if you catch a headwind, or it's just, there's these rollers, and you're at the end of this long effort, so it really is nice to have a partner to be trading drafting mm-hmm. with um so how long did it take uh it took steph and i nine hours and six minutes 906 yeah and that was uh well we we broke the overall fkt and that we're set the overall fkt doing that but that was unsupported so we carried all of our gear from boulder to the top of long speak and back uh so you're biking with ropes and Exactly, we're biking with a rope and, and our climbing rack and change of climbing shoes, harness, all of that, helmets. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess you you would definitely go faster with support if you had someone, uh, even if you had gear stashed at the base of the diamond or something like that, uh, just because you wouldn't have to carry all that weight up. But nine know. hours and six minutes is how long it takes some people to do Long's Peak up and back from the trailhead just... Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's people starting to... Two, three in the morning all summer long to 
Right. Built the keyhole out. Well, that's sure. a good project. Congratulations again. Mm, thanks, Buzz. Yeah. And you've tried a few other things in the past that haven't worked out. Oh, I'm not doing it all sorts of stuff that hasn't worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something that is maybe not uh, uh, as widely realized is that it doesn't always... Um, so people hear about the successes. Yeah, people hear about the successes, and mountains are unpredictable, and that's why we go into the mountains, is because there's an element of uncertainty and adventure, and that means that you're going to fail a lot of the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. mm-hmm. um, Kyle Richardson just set the FKT on the LA Freeway. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good route. I know you've considered it. I've definitely considered it. Um, it something I'm still, I mean, I would like to break his time for sure. Uh, I think it's a super cool route going from Long's Peak to South Arapahoe Peak. Uh, it's neat because there's an element, there's a technical element to it that is uh, creates a certain barrier to entry. I think uh, you know even something like Nolan's Fourteen, which I've also attempted and failed miserably at. Uh, you never have to. It never has to be more difficult than Class Two. You know, basically just off trail hiking. Um, but this is there's mandatory five six on it, which is really cool and it's it's mandatory you can't get around it yeah yeah and uh i don't know that's just a nice that's something that makes it interesting and engaging well we're talking with kyle next so stay tuned on that right on um and you but you can handle five six is there any other routes usually of, i can handle five six i've backed off five six before <laughs> but, yeah well that's well that's good let's just, just to dwell on that because we talk yeah. about numbers people always want to hear about the numbers sure. how far yeah. is it etc cetera, etc cetera. what's the grade but really isn't it about how you feel it's always about how you feel i mean just like a year ago i was up in the circuit of towers and the wind river range in wyoming and the there's a really classic alpine traverse there the, of all the towers in the circuit i think it's 10 peaks and Cirque of the Towers. Yeah, Cirque of the Towers, Southern Wind River Range. And I got to the second one, the East Ridge of Wolf's Head, and I'm on-siding it solo. But that route is supposed to be 5'6", and I wasn't feeling comfortable with this certain traverse section. I looked thin and extremely exposed to me. That's the hand traverse right. Uh, kind of a piton traverse, yeah. yeah. It's not, it's, there's no crack, yeah. It's sort of this, like... Well, it's a very thin crack that you can pound pitons into. But, yeah, it's these little dishes. It's just out on this face. What kind of shoes were you using? I was in climbing shoes. Uh-huh. Just pros, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I wasn't just in running shoes. Uh, but, you know, I, I thought I thought I'd done the crux of the route because I just, you know, 20 minutes before that, I'd soloed a 5.8 pitch on Pingora. South Buttress of Pingora and was fell 100% solid the entire way, you know. Wow. And so it's just... You never know, um, especially with an old school route like that or a historic route like that. I guess we just you can never go by the grade, right? Uh, yeah. It's got to be how you feel. When I did that, I had backpacked in. I was on a five day backpack, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. And so I had brought climbing shoes for that. I would recommend climbing shoes for that. <laughs> <laughs> the hand traverse right, it gave me pause. I said, "Wow, yeah, really? This is it, huh?" Mm-hmm. And I looked at a couple different options. You can go high, and there's actually a crack. You can go low, and there's little dishes. And I just didn't feel good about either of them. So good yeah. call. Yeah, good call. That's uh, I think fastest known times are a fascinating realm of the adventure world, aren't they? Because in a race, you're always looking at that number. There's a distance. Here's the vert. In a climbing, you're looking at the grade. Yeah. But in FKT, no. Well, it just depends. Like there's so many. There's very few. 
I guess all the unknowns in a race are internal. Like, are you going to be able to maintain motivation, essentially, or stubbornness to overcome the discomfort? Uh, in an FKT, if you're trying to go fast on uh, a less controlled route in the mountains, you know, one where there's no aid stations, there's no support system, there's no safety net, basically, uh, you have to be self-reliant and make good decisions so that you uh, are in order to be successful. And sometimes being successful just means getting back to the car. Um, so, yeah. Here, here's where we have to go right away. So these are some of the, an AT, some of the most famous ultra runners in the United States, and you were way faster. How? I mean, what, what do you have to say about that? You mentioned that this is your specialty, but as you also mentioned, if, if this was a head-to-head -head race over 50 or 100 miles, someone else would come out on top. So how does one do this? You you really did well. You you have techniques here. What are they? Um, so I think also yeah, one of the one of the important things to mention is is age difference, of course. Uh, so Scott age. So Scott was uh, forty one. Um, Carl was uh, forty eight, I think, at the time. Whereas I'm twenty eight, and it's all about recovery during a forty day or fifty day adventure like that and it's just i think scientifically proven that as a 28 year old recovery is faster than when you're 41 or when you're 48 so that's definitely one of the reasons that joe and i managed to better the times of, of scott and, and carl joe unsupported and then me doing as much as four days of the record so age is definitely one of the one of the things yeah i think a very important one is the start of the day. Um, when we when we did some presentations about the PCT, we um, I always covered the fact the mornings uh, that Carl was having were really slow because it's um, it's just a, a barrier you got to go over through because it's the day after day another 50 miler and you get up and you you know it's going to be another 50 miler. Uh, but this time Carl was extremely um, disciplined. He just he just woke up. We know he had only 20 minutes, and then he he should start running. And we we actually managed to stay within those 20 minutes. His his breakfast was ready when he woke up. He had his coffee, and then um, he just got dressed, and then we immediately started walking. So uh, we just found it was a really big difference already starting to walk. Um, whereas he would stay still at the PCT and well, I was always surprised when I had to get back to the, to the camp, how much, um, uh, how many miles we covered already just by doing the breakfast, um, walking. That's excellent. Excellent. So I appreciate the self-effacing comment again. It's age played a big factor. Then start of the day. That's brilliant. 20 minutes after waking up, you were moving forward. Yeah, it's, a. Uh... It's yeah, honestly, just time to to get dressed and and that's it. Um, I had a coffee hiking already, and then um, that gave me some time to get my feet used to being in the shoes again. And and as Joe says, by the time he got back to camp, uh, he was always surprised yeah, mm -hmm. by the, the ground we have already covered. And then I think we tried to um, keep that mindset. Um, and every look, uh, every occasion where there could have been um, a stop. We tried to minimize it, um, such as like we had multiple backpacks. So 
last time in the PCT, we only had one backpack. So then he had to stop, wait for me to fill it up. Whereas now we just had to replace the tracker and his cell phone and, and another um, ready-made bag and he could just uh, move on again. Yeah. And then also during these meetups with the crew, um, like it was funny, I had a few friends coming over to run with me. And then one guy said at the meetup, hey, why are you sitting on the trunk? You should have a, a chair so that you're comfortable. And then we were like, oh, no, that's definitely part of the plan. It has to be uncomfortable because once you sit down in a chair and it's comfortable before you even <clears throat> had the feeling that you had a break, it's already half an hour. It goes extremely quick during those breaks. So I just sat down a bit on the ground or on the trunk. Um, and then I, I really had the feeling that I needed to get going again. Another another really important part that I think um, and that Carl mentioned to me a couple of times is this time um, the first weeks we had we had pacers um, so guys who were running with Carl whereas last time in the PCT he would be uh, totally alone and then when he would see me that would have been like one of his highlights of the day uh, to have some social interaction and I think he didn't have the need as much this time to stay at the crew and and talk it over because he had some company during the during the the run uh, during the day as well some um, some local people who just came up and and started running with us um, I think that helped a lot by not having the the need to 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 stop longer at at the resupply stops. Excellent suggestions. Multiple packs. I've seen people do that at ultra races before, but you took it to another level by using that technique on a multi-day trail run. So it really comes down to a, a, a term Peter and I coined a number of years ago, relentless forward motion. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's a really good term. That's how you can um, summarize an FKT attempt, in my opinion. Nice. Indeed, when I first uh, started looking at the big long trails, it was flying Brian Robinson, who did the calendar triple crown here in the United States. And we did a full day with him, and it was so educational. Of course, the guy didn't run a step, and he was doing much bigger miles per day than ultra runners do because of relentless forward motion. You're, it's yeah. time moving forward on your feet is really what's going to here, Christoph, is that you ran back and forth across the Grand Canyon four times. That is correct. Yeah. Eight crossings or four double crossings. And you are the only person ever to have attempted this. And it took you, I believe, 58 hours and 11 minutes. And the person who did the triple took 68 hours. So you did one more crossing in 10 hours less than the previous person did a triple. <laughs> I had a pretty good day, I guess. Yeah. Well, pretty good. Two days. Two days. <laughs> so I, here, here's the big question that we're all wondering, who are you? Uh, I'm a, a professor at Portland State University and I started running five years ago. I never was a runner and I really got into it very, very quickly. I realized that I could go to distance without too much effort and if I put in the training. And so I started running more and more. And from a 50K, it became a 50 miler, then a 100 miler. And now I'm doing distances that I never thought I would ever possibly do on foot. And that is uh, very fascinating to me in many dimensions. 
Well, you went, uh, you are a professor of electrical and computing engineering at Portland mm-hmm. State University. So do you core, and then one should go to your website, and we'll put this in the show notes. It's ChristophTusher.com. And you have this uh, remarkable little CV here that it just you just went big. I mean, five years is not a long time ago, and you just went for the big stuff right out of the gate. <laughs> well, I would say gradually. I mean, it's it really running is so incremental, and if you're willing to put in the time and the effort, you can you know you can do these things. Uh, and certainly, I think I. I realized that myself, what I thought was impossible is suddenly possible just because you put in the training and in running, there really aren't any shortcuts, right? You put in the time, you put in the training and uh, you can't just magically do things out of nowhere without any training. So I think, you know, pretty much, I wouldn't say anybody, but, but most people could do it if they're willing to put in the time. Most people could do 168 miles with 44,000 feet of elevation gain. Well, I, I trained really hard for this, right? I, I, two weeks before I did 30,000 feet, just hill reps up and down to sharpen my mind and make sure my body was ready. So again, it's not something that you can just do out of the blue. And, and I, I, I felt pretty pretty ready for this challenge. And it wasn't one of the most difficult things I've done. I I think it's certainly mentally uh, challenging, perhaps more than physically, actually. You say it was not one of the most difficult things you've done. Well, not from, you know, considering the conditions that the weather was great, that, you know, it's a nice trail, there is no navigation involved. And I've done other challenges where it, it required me to navigate constantly and, and you had to deal with much more uh, wet conditions or cold conditions than at the Grand Canyon. So um, the Grand Canyon was, in, in that respect, at least pretty straightforward. That's a very good point. There is no navigation. If the Kaibab Trail, it'd be hard to deviate from that. Right, yeah. On the other hand, this is equivalent, what you did, of 14 Mount Everest climbing from base camp in terms of distance or in terms of elevation gain going up Mount Everest four times from base camp. Right. Yeah. This week we're talking with Heather Anderson. Welcome, Heather. It's been a few years since we've talked. It's good to talk with you again. Yeah, good to talk to you too. Now, your resume is, is rather startling. You had the self-supported record on the Pacific Crest Trail, the Appalachian Trail, and the Arizona Trail all at the same time. And your PCT self-supported record of 60 days still is the overall, which means female as well as male. Your Appalachian Trail, a time of 54 days, also was the overall record. And your Arizona Trail of 19 plus days set in 2016 was also the overall record until just two weeks ago. So that's uh, mm-hmm. it's quite a stunning resume you have there. <laughs> Thank you. And you have a particular style, one might note. You you kind of own this. You uh, Now you recently set that fabled triple crown, the first female to do the calendar triple crown. And I'll just briefly mention what that is. That's the Mm -hmm. uh, Pacific Crest Trail, the Appalachian Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail 
through hiking the whole thing all in one year. Correct. Now, I think you're the first female to do the calendar triple crown. Is that right? Yes, I am. And I just got to just jump right in here. That's uh, what's the, I forgot. That's like 7,000 miles, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it depends uh, a little bit on which route you take on the Continental Divide Trail um, because the CDT is um, still has a lot of route options. So you can hike anywhere between 22 and 2,900 miles on that trail. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, I definitely hiked over 7,000 miles this year, but I don't know exactly how far, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, 7,000 miles is plenty. And uh, yeah. you described this as a 15 year old dream. So that means you've thought about this for 15 years. Yeah. So, um, our mutual friend, Fly and Brian did this in 2001. Uh, he was the very first person ever to do the calendar year triple crown. Backpacker Magazine wrote an article about him that was a bit delayed, but uh, I read it after I finished my first through hike in 2003. So I guess it's good they delayed it because as soon as I read that article, I was like, I'm going to do this. Wow. And it took me 15 years to get around to it. But I mean, my mom still remembers that day that I came like running down the stairs with the magazine in my hand, waving it at her going, I'm going to do this. Wow, that's an incredible uh, yeah. story. So you got stoked 15 years ago, and now you've done it. Yep, yep. Yeah, so it was, and, it, and Brian came out um, and surprised me at the end. Like, he drove 15 hours and slept at a trailhead and found me on my last day and hiked the last, like, 10 miles with me. Um, and so that was really, really incredible and super meaningful to me to have the person that I read about that made me want to do this 15 years ago show up and be there at the end of the journey with me so that's so classic because that shows the community doesn't it How so this is because everyone knows rim to rim to rim you especially since you have the fkt on that so what's how is this different or just describe this yeah so this one um is going to be the alternative rim to rim to rim, uh, as you've named it, uh, you're kind of one of the founders and pioneers of this route, but it's really aesthetic because it's the only other trail that goes from the South Rim all the way to the North Rim on a continuous trail. Um, but the catch being, uh, it doesn't have a bridge or any real means to get across the river like the Kaibab Trail has where you run across the black bridge. So this one, you gotta bring gear down with you and um, kind of figure out a way to psych yourself up to get across the river. Um, <laughs> and then, and then the, the trail itself is just completely different. Um, there are sections that are great and they're runnable, but for the most part, you're running through creek beds, you're bushwhacking, you're looking for Karens. I think we we just constantly had an ongoing joke during the day. Um, or, or I guess I'll preference this as well as, uh, so you did it with uh, Peter Backwin and Charles. Uh, Corfield. Charles Corfield, okay. Um, in 2014 originally. And so we did it as a group as well. So it ended up being myself, Tim Frericks, and Eric Sensman that kind of embarked on this journey. So when I say we, um, it'll be the three of us that are kind of the the three that set out to do it. Um, we also had Jamil Curry ran from the South Rim down with us to help 
kind of just document it. He thought it was a really cool idea and wanted to help tell that story. And then we also had Chris Thornley uh, hike down in the dark. Um, he's the guy on the safety boat across the American River during Western States. And uh, I guess in the ultra running world, um, a lot of people know his brother, Craig Thornley, who's the RD for Western States. So, so, he, so he's, uh, seen you, he's seen you swim before. He, he has seen me, yeah, swim before and seen me in tricky spot before because there's kind of a, a little YouTube video that people can find of just uh, if you Google Jim Walmsley swimming Western State, something like that, you'll see where I kind of get swept down. And I think they've altered the rules now at Western States. You have to hang on to the rope because I had heard that Rob Carr like actually swam across and people are like, oh, it's the fastest I've seen anyone get across the river. And in 2016, I was definitely trying to just go as hard as I could and get super fast time. And um, yeah, so I, I ended up trying to swim across. And before I knew it, I was getting swept down by the current. Um, no, I kind of found the, the no, life jacket really sweeps you down a bit, too, is my opinion on that. But on the Grand Canyon, you don't really want to go down that far, do you? So you alluded to psych yourself up for the swim across. So that means yeah. you get down to the river, and you did this in December. You did this on December 12th. And you're looking across that river, and what are you guys thinking? It's a lot bigger um, than the American River. Uh, I think it's probably four to ten times bigger than the American River as far as cubic feet per second um, flow rate. The, the main part is kind of figuring out a place that you're comfortable crossing with because you have the Bass Rapids that you can see down there. And originally... Um, we were going to do this a week earlier. And I think I ran into you at the running event and told you we were going to do it on a Tuesday and temperatures. We originally, we originally wanted to camp out the night before, but temperatures ended up just dropping um, around the state. So you're at an elevation at the South rim at like 6,700 feet. So just the nights get really cold and we weren't up for camping in single digits or uh, in the teens sort of thing. So, we decided that we still wanted to go check it out. It'd been a route that I've never seen. So there's only so many routes in the Grand Canyon that go from rim to river and the Bass Trail being probably the most Western one on the South Rim in kind of the beginning of the, the classic Grand Canyon uh, and especially like the park area. Uh, it's like the westernmost side. So it was ended up kind of being a scouting trip and we brought all of our stuff down. We were going to practice swimming across and back and just kind of get a feel for it. And basically we got down there um, for our scouting trip, which was supposed to be the, the day. And we just stood and looked at the river for probably 30 minutes. And it was just like, well, someone's got to go first and this and that. And uh, more or less it ended up being uh, well, let's just not make this into a crappy day and get super cold. Let's just pack it up. And we'll, we, we know what we're dealing with right now. And the interesting part is we were actually looking at a part of the river that was um, upstream of the Bass Rapids. And the trickiest part about that is if you don't get across, you are taking a ride. Um, <laughs> so that was in retrospect, a really good call not to try to cross there. I think it could have been really bad. And we went back and we talked with more people in Flagstaff and we went back and looked at your data and 
pictures and stuff. And then it's just like, I think I actually got outvoted on the practice day. Um, Tim was like adamant that that would be the spot. And then Eric was like, oh, Chris Thornley said, go super far right because that that's the best spot to hit. And I'm just looking at it like, that's right above the rapids. Like, you're kidding. And um, I, I'm glad we at least thought about it. And we decided to cross downstream from the Bass Rapids. And then you have probably a quarter mile at least uh, before the Shinuma Rapids. And that one gets trickier because even if you go for a ride through those rapids, now you're in some box canyons that's extremely hard to get out of. So, yeah, you, you definitely need to get across the river. Um, and kind of once we did it the first time, uh, Chris talked me into, or I guess on the 12th when we actually went for it, um, my idea was just, I'm going to get down there, I'm going to change, and I'm just going to go. So right now, I'm not even sure if there's any footage or pictures of me crossing the first time because I just took off and I swam across. And more or less, my idea was just, I want to set the tone and like, we're not, we're, we're here to do it. We're not here to chicken out. And we're, we're going to kind of really take that mentality um, as doing it. But Chris Thornley was really adamant about hit like kind of the tail of the Bass Rapids and use that to kind of propel yourself onto the beach. And uh, I definitely got a little more ride of a ride than I was looking for while doing that um, and kind of got thrashed around by the rapids a little bit. Well, but, Jim, um, Jim, I think you're identifying for the listeners what they might be in for. I think uh, yeah. Neil commented later, I think this is going to take off now. But people listening to this might be having second thoughts about that. You've described it real well. You get down there, you're you're alone. There isn't a ranger standing over your shoulder. No. There isn't an aid station on the other side. So if you get into trouble, it's all up to you. It's a, it's a very real situation. Um, and I think going down there to scout it out really put that in context better than anything else um and getting our eyes on the river and actually contemplating swimming across the river it ended up going a lot better than i think we thought it would and i know when the first time crossing we were just all pumped with adrenaline the other guys swam down a little bit to avoid some of the fastest moving water uh, that i hit and kind of went around it and still made it across pretty well but on the way back um we decided we were going to go further downstream from the rapids and the swim back was uh, much less eventful and went really smoothly. So I feel like now we have the spot of definitely where we would like to cross and lots of confidence to swim it if we ever want to do it again. Uh, but yeah, kind of learning where to cross and making that decision um, was a bit interesting. and uh, Well, that's classic FKT action. Obviously, yeah. you're a top ultra runner. You know, this country, UTMB, then FKTs are a different game. When you and I talked in person at the running event, we had a great conversation. And I noted, yeah, you got to hit the crossing. <laughs> because like you said, yeah. if you go down, you it's going to get interesting down there. That water is cold. And of course, this time of year, the air is cold. You can't always get out. Yeah. And I had friends kind of throwing out the, well, what if one of you guys get swept down? And I'm like, well, it's not really an option. If you get in the river, you got to make it across. Cause even if someone starts to get swept down, even as a bystander watching your friend get swept, it's 
not a lot you can do until they cling on to some sort of wall and you can find them that way, but it can turn into an extremely real situation. What we did um, and ended up being <clears throat> the best call that we did was uh, we bought these little Amazon dry bag uh, personal flotation devices. So kind of decided our shoes took up too much room in it. We wanted the bag to have a little more buoyancy but it's this uh, 20 liter to 30 liter bag rolls up as a dry bag. You can stuff your gear that you need on the north side. And we put everything in there and then there's a little leash that connects to your waist. But that was huge because whether you got tired or whether you hit a slow part of the river, we could grab that and just kick over. And uh, that ended up being probably the best thing that we took down there, um, was just something that floated like that. It kind of acted as like a bit of a floaty paddle board. Um, and that was a brilliant, uh, addition. What was the preeminent FKT? of 2018, in your opinion. Go ahead, Peter. Well, I think on the men's side, it was pretty clear that it was uh, Corral Sabe coming over and running the Appalachian Trail and breaking the old record by something like four days. It was just a, taking it to a whole new level. And um, yeah, and that was also really fun to watch. She, he had good tracking and good reporting on it, and um, it was an international thing, so that was really fun. So, um, on the female side? On the female side, it was, you know, Claire did a fantastic run across Zion National Park. Um, but uh, there were a few things that were quite impressive like that. And um, Taylor Nellen's Rim to Rim to Rim, which is one of the more competitive FKTs anywhere. And certainly the uh, long trail effort by Alyssa Godeski. That was cool also because she's not your sort of typical FKT person. She's a professional triathlete but crossed over to go after Nikki Kimball's long trail FKT and successfully did it. Okay, so Carol was a clear number one for you and for the females. You had uh, Taylor and Alyssa. Yep. Actually, for the men, I would also add um, Aurelian Sanchez's uh, unsupported John Muir trail was just uh, mm -hmm. phenomenal. He mm -hmm. just just blew it out of the park second fastest time ever completely unsupported and I, it seems like he did it just by basically not sleeping <laughs> for 223 miles oh, this year sick. that's one technique we'll <laughs> get back to that so Claire the same question and female and male answer please yeah uh, I think I'm going to agree with uh, Peter on the males uh, beating the AT record by four days is absolutely mind boggling especially with like and who knows, maybe the fanfare of the prior FKTs, Metzler and uh, Jurek, I don't know, makes, makes it slower. But it's it's extra and more impressive just how quietly he did it, um, at least to, in my uh, opinion. And then Taylor, I think the Grand Canyon, Rim to Rim to Rim, was so cool to watch. Like, one, Ida to break it. Oops, sorry. And, uh, and then for Sandy to go after it, you know, with, like no guarantee or even you know idea that she would get that close yeah, and then taylor the same yeah it's just like so much balls and so yeah i'm gonna give it to taylor nice mm -hmm. tony what are you thinking the preeminent fkt 
Well, it seems like we have consensus here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't know if it's Carol or Carell. Uh, he's Belgian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was super rad. Mostly, well, probably the only reason I even knew that much about it was because of the interview you guys did with him. And I thought what was notable was how open and sort of innovative he was with his tactics. And uh, and I also thought it was notable, and this is just an outsider looking in, kind of, he seemed to, he seemed to finish it without it being this, like, soul-polarizing experience. I don't know. <laughs> Whereas, you know, string being last year unsupported, super awesome, still really respect that. But Scott and Carl before that, it's like both of them just like got so worked. Carl <laughs> <And laughs> just seemed to kind of like crush it, lower by ten percent. Thought it was really cool. Uh, and he he had like a four extra days in the U.S. Right? And he's like, I'm gonna go on vacation now. Oh yeah, yeah. you know, fly across the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He budgeted or didn't budget the time, but ended up yeah. at the time. Uh, and then the women, exactly Taylor in the Grand Canyon. It's probably the most classic kind of mid-distance FKT in the country. Uh, she's had podium results at notable ultras in the country this past year, but I think this shows that she's... I mean, Ida's arguably the best 50-mile trail runner in the world, mm-hmm. you know, for women. So for Taylor to come in and break her time is just super impressive. Nice. We have Do we have a little bit of a consensus here, don't we? Yeah. Of course, Carol, is, we mentioned a few things about him. He didn't look like he just got out of Auschwitz when he finished. Exactly, yeah. And our conversation with him, and you know, going back and listen to that podcast, please, as I think that was about a month or so ago, and as Tony mentioned, he was very straightforward. He knew what to do. He approached this in a, he basically back-engineered how to do this. Yeah. And his key discovery, remembering our interview, was you start early. You go hit it, you get it done. And he never went on the rivet. I thought it was pretty funny how he... It was uh, just literally the opposite of how other people have done it. Yeah, yeah. How he just, like, used the jet lag to his, to his advantage and just continued with the, like, 2 a.m. wake-up 7 a.m. or whatever to, like, be on the trail by yeah. 4. Kind of, I don't know. It's kind of funny, but... He, yeah. he, he identifies something that which likely other people are going to attempt to follow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he came into camp, so to speak, and then every day hydrated and well-fed. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and you know, certainly to give Scott his due in comparison, you know, Carol's talking about how he wasn't even, he was just switching packs out at, like, crew meeting points. Scott's, like, signing autographs and leading trail right, lines and like, right, yeah. doing selfies. And, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, there's there was obvious room. I guess when, when Joe McConaughey went and uh, broke the overall record, unsupported, like, okay, there's definitely room here. In a supported effort to lower right, the record sure. further. Joe so. kind of pointed the way yeah. that if he could beat two of the best two of the best ultra runners in the country going unsupported, there was room. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. And Carol just didn't have a bad day. Oh really? I mean, yeah. He got to the White Mountains and everybody's like, Oh, he's gonna slow down when he gets to the White Mountains. Um, and the weather was just terrible when he went, did the presidential traverse and he just he just smashed it out. Nice. It's cool. Well, on the female side. have 45 great days. <laughs> yeah, that definitely is something special. Um, about the UK, well, I loved um, looking at those 
attempts on on the, those rounds, whether it's like the um, the Charlie Ramsey or the the Bob Graham or the Paddy Buckley, like it's like that sort of like low key approach and that immersion within the community is like it's not like you're you go there you you do your stuff you you put an astonishing time and you go home it's like you 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 have to get a different approach uh, you have to like talk to people like tell us a little bit more about your experience when you went after the the, the bob graham record like how how did you manage that how how how, how did that happen well it it was something i had in mind for for a long time i would say from since some years but it never happened to have the opportunity and actually this year it was kind of last moment i i was racing Mont Blanc marathon and I saw there that I was uh, okay after the injury, so I decided the day after, okay, I go for to to UK. So I was deciding like on Monday to go to UK, and then I arrived on UK on Tuesday, and then I just meet some guys there and and say like, uh, yeah, if, if they wanted to help me, they were super open. And actually, it's fun because uh, Rob uh, Rob Jeb wanted to do to try the the Bob Graham round. To try to to do a good time there, and uh, at the end he thought that it was too warm. The temperature it was crazy, so he pulled it out. So actually, I I was talking to him. I didn't know that he wanted to try, uh, and I asked him if he wanted to to help me because he knows the road and he knows the the like yeah the track uh, by by hand. So so uh, I asked him, and then like uh, he he turned out like to be super helpful. He he called all his pacers to to help me, and and it was uh, an incredible journey. Not only the run, but like to be there with these guys that they really know the yeah that place. And I was discovering the mountains with them, and it's about community most of that. And especially there, like you need to have pacers all the all the round. Like it's something I I'm not very fan or I I normally I like to go alone and by myself. But uh, they're like kind of the the rules is that you need to have pacers all the way, so they they verify that you are going there and in terms of safety, like so you are um, yeah safe all the way. So it turns out that it was not only pushing by myself, but uh, but yeah, talking with people, discovering the mountains, having good chats at the beginning, and then like I was chatting much, but but yeah, we had some some good conversations at the first uh, yeah halfway. Nice. I mean, yeah, this is one of the particularities of the of the of the Bob Graham run is that they, you need witnesses. You need people to um, like verify and testify that yeah, you you checked all the um, all the the, the hills. Um, Forty two summit, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, so that that's that's pretty impressive. Like to see that you you have to follow like some sort of rules, but that's part of the the experience. And um and it's the way also to adapt and to to adjust to the to the specificities of the of the of the event, which is nice. Like one beautiful thing is that Billy Blaine was there at the end. Um, you you managed was, to 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 share. Yeah, he was there. Like I I met him uh, some days before uh, I was uh, going to run. I I was going to visit him, and he was very helpful on like uh, telling some tips and and. And yeah, very like sharing his experience when he did at the time. And actually it was, uh, he was, uh, when I came like the second leg at the end of the second leg, he was there sharing. He, 
he he still do a lot of sport like he cannot run much but he's cycling like a crazy man every day so he was going with the basic bicycle to to meet me in the end of the second leg and also to meet me in the end of the third, uh fourth leg so uh, he was sharing during the during the run and then he was at the end and like also like uh, i had the same amount of pacers that he has and some of the pacers i had they were the sons of the pacers he had so it was really it wow. was really cool like it was a, an incredible experience to to share with the pacers but also with billy and martin uh, the guys that they were uh helping uh, uh billy's uh billy's uh run and, and they were helping us mine great i mean yeah that's because like people like sometimes they they, they 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 will assume that based on your experience and your record on the Matterhorn and, and your Summit of My Life project, like getting to like something like that is like far less technical, like the, the, the Bob Graham round, people will think like, why you would even do that now? And it's interesting because it's, it's, it's beyond just the route. It's like the whole history sounds like just like the history and the community and getting to something different. is like super appealing to you. Well, yeah, like uh, Bob, uh, it's it's incredible. Like we 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 think that trail running is a new sport, and we cannot be more wrong about that. Like when you when you see like when the races started in UK, like it was in the in the eighteen hundred, it was a lot of races, and and they started with these uh, with the rounds uh, in in the Lake District and in in Scotland, and the Bob Graham round, I think, is from the thirty two. So in, in, in 1932, uh, Bob Graham did these 42 summits and, and at the time they were doing the, the 24 hours challenge. That is how many summits you can do in 24 hours or in 72. So it's crazy. Like it's, it's not something new. It's something that it has been there forever. And people were like very strong. Like when you see like Billy's times, even in trial races, in, in, in classical trail races or like a Kenny Stewart that uh, was also like, uh, at the time, like racing with Billy and, and he was pacing him in the first leg. He still have the Ben Nevis uh, uh, race record. He was running like 2.11 in marathon. So they were very strong runners and, and they were trail runners at the origin. So like you can see that trail running is, is not new. And, and when you go to, to UK, especially and in the lakes, you really feel that, that it's it's uh, like fair running, it's... It's not something new like trail running that it's uh, now in Facebook, but it's something that it's part of the history of of the sport in in the in the Lake District. Nice, that's great. Um, so one thing that also like surprised lots of people. I mean, I was surprised myself. Is like sort of the low key approach that you managed to keep. So you said it was like sort of a last minute push. Uh, you decided on the last minute to go there um because like sort of like the timing was okay and and you 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 went for it but like like the the support like on social media i mean i saw like the you crossing the the, the like crossing the finish line if i may say um just like because some some people were streaming through their twitter account like sort of like the the, the waiting of your arrival on the on the main place that was amazing so it's like and it's so different from what we may see these days with like brands being more and more involved to support their athletes and for like some purists um sometimes people feel like it's too much when they they see like an fkt attempt with like you know like lots of like hoopla around like lots of like 
marketing, propaganda, and um, here that was totally different. So how do you manage as an athlete to preserve that, like those like personal projects, because those are personal projects, we, we feel that. Um, but as, as a professional athlete, how do you manage to like keep your hand on, 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 on your project and make it like the way you want to do? Well, like I, I think, like it's it's us, the athletes, that we have, we can decide how we want, and and I think the the brands, they just uh, they are happy on 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 its like. I think it's cultural too. Like I I I don't like uh, when I do a FKT like that. It looks like a race because for that you do a race. Uh, so it's 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 a different approach, uh, and and uh, especially like it respecting the traditions of each place and each each uh, style that it. It's done. It has been done before, but um, yeah, like uh, uh, in the program, we wanted. I wanted to have a, a low key attempt, and like I think the morning I started, it was maybe uh, like the pacers uh, and and maybe uh, three, four more persons that knew that I was there to do it. Um, and but yeah, like it's it's hard. I think like. Uh, now to to keep low key things, if uh, someone else know, like for example, there, like it was like that. But when I was running, then like some people saw me running, and then it was like over the the social media, and at the end it was like a bunch of people. So it was like uh, it was evolving. So it's it's hard to 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 keep like that. It's possible to do some things like just by yourself and then publish after, but it's harder and harder. I think. Uh, if uh, if it's some assistance or if it's in a place where it's other people that can see you, yeah. Um, but yeah, then I think um, yeah, I think uh, FKTs attempts or like uh, these personal projects. It's is that is a personal project and it's the least that we should tell. I want to have this experience and I want to have this experience that way, and that way can be just go for. The best performance, so having the like full assistance and like full like whatever it is, um, or we want to have like something that it's really like uh, a more uh, inner journey and like to to be out for ourselves and to take the decisions and to to really experience some something very different. And, and I think it's it's on us to 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 yeah to have the control on that and, and say. I want to have this experience and, and then try to to manage all the surrounding, all the if you need to do images or things, uh, to to be the, the experience you want to have. <laughs>